My name is Corin Farmer. I'm a uh, student at Millican University. And the way I got involved with First Christian Church, uh, freshman year, came to a Millican men's Bible study and ran into um, a guy named Thomas Hagen. Uh, and he invited uh, myself and then uh, my sister to come here to First Christian Church. Uh, and we've been looking for a church a few weeks into college, came here, fell in love with it, um, and tried being back every week we can. I think for college students, being involved in local churches uh, just really helps alleviate um, the pressure and stress college um, brings about. Um, it also gives you the hope um, that Christ offers and really gets your perspective focused on something besides all the tests and all of the, uh, the stresses college offers and really just gets us pointed back to um, God and heaven and the promises we see in scripture. A huge reason personally why I invite friends to come to church uh, is because they are my friends. Because the gospel can change someone's soul, it changes someone's eternity. So if me not doing that, how good of a friend am I really? Uh, me not inviting someone to church to hear this life-changing message that's impacted my life. But at the same time, I do realize people have other commitments, uh, so I just really encourage them to get involved in their relationship with God and just always extending that invitation uh, because I've seen sometimes me asking one more time, just persisting one more time, uh, and they say yes. Good morning, friends. It's great to have you with us. Uh, we'll say hello to those who are here in the West Auditorium and to those in the East Auditorium as well. We're very glad you've joined us here at worship here at First Christian Church. My name is Wayne. I'm part of the pastoral team, and for those who are guests, we're very glad that you've joined us as well. We're going to look at Scripture together. If you'll take a Bible, please, and turn to John chapter 17. Uh, in the East Auditorium, if you don't have a Bible, there's some people moving around the room right now. I'll be glad to give you one. And when I say give it to you, I mean give it to you. You can take it home, or if you're in the West Auditorium, there's one in the pew rack in front of you. By all means, if you don't own one, take a Bible home. We'd be glad if you would have that, okay? While you're looking for John 17, it's, it's almost towards the end. So if you're trying to figure out, okay, keep going, keep going, all right? Leslie and I are honored to have a friend with us here today. Um, his name is Jan Baz Bazouk. I say, is it Bazook or Bazook? Barchuk. Barchuk. Ah, the sea is hard. Barchuk, yeah. There you go. All right. We talk about this every time I meet him. Say, tell me how to say your name one more time, right? But nonetheless, we're very, we, we go back a long time, back to the 1980s when we first met. And, um, and we, we used to do ministry in Poland, and, and he's from Poland. And uh, in those days, of course, Poland was a communist nation. And uh, I want to give you the storyline of what got us there and how he come he's here today and so forth. But I, so it's a general conversation. There are deviations along the way. But basically, in a nutshell, Les and I were part of an organization that used music as a vehicle to tell people the story of Jesus Christ. So we were young musicians on the road, usually 10 and a half months a year straight. 10 and a half months straight, and then we'd go home for six weeks and do it again. And uh, different town, different city every night. And much of what we did uh, in terms of our ministry and the group we were in was focused in Eastern Europe. So we'd go into Poland maybe for 10 days, come out, or go in for 10 weeks, come back out, and then go to Sweden, or, and so forth and so on. And um, it became apparent that while our ministry there was effective, it could be even more effective if we could mirror ourselves, if you will, if we could create a second group made up of Polish Christian musicians 
who could travel their own nation. And so we developed some relationships and uh, Jan was our, our bass player in the Polish group. And um, they, they literally came on our bus. We put two groups on one bus. And for a period of time, we, we trained them how we did things, and they told us how they did things in Poland that worked together. And then eventually we got some gear into the nation for them in a vehicle, and, and they began touring the nation on their own behalf with much the same message and ministry as we were involved in. Now, so Les and I would go back, and we would see them, and, and this went on for a number of years. One of the things that is important to do when you're particularly wanting to tell the story of Jesus Christ in another place is to use a language that the people understand. So obviously us singing in English wouldn't have been all that helpful. So being a musician and a keyboard player and a trombone player, I didn't have to learn Polish. But if you were a singer, when you arrived in Poland, you had to be able to sing some songs in Polish. So we'd take our arrangements, the musical charts that we had, and as a band player, it wasn't any different from night to night, but depending on what country you were in, the singers had to sing in Polish or Swedish or Ukrainian or Russian and so forth and so on. So it was always a, how are we doing this? And we were, we were sing, we, one of the charts that we used was a song that was uh, as a psalm. It says, for thou art Lord art high above all the earth. You are exalted above all gods and I ex- we, we exalt you. And uh, Leslie sat down with uh, one of the Polish young people and said, can you help me translate this so that we can do it tonight? And then the singers would learn it by rote. And uh, the song became very, very popular. This translation that Leslie was involved in and uh, it, well, Les, why don't you come and we'll, we'll do it for everybody, okay? So we'll see how we can manage this. It's been 30-some years since she sang in Polish, but we'll take a run at it here, okay? Don't judge me. <laughs> don't judge you, yeah. <laughs> you are allowed to come a little closer over here if you want. Not really. They're telling you no because you're out of the lights, okay? I'll just be over here all by my lonesome self, okay? Whatever you say, dear. Oh, I'll need to remember that line, whatever I say. There you go, all right. Just play the piano, darling. Okay. <laughs> For thou, O Lord, art high above all the earth. Thou art exalted far above all God.
so that would we would so in Sweden we'd sing it in Swedish and Poland would sing it in Polish and so forth and so on. And um, years later, Leslie and I um, I came off the road and I went to pastoring. Leslie stayed on the road, as many of you know, and uh, continued singing around the country. And uh, I took over the role as pastor of this church. One day I was up visiting Lincoln Christian College and I walked into this commons area and um, professor comes up to me, hey Wayne, we've got a Polish student here, you probably know him. I'm thinking, there's 35, 37 million people in Poland, how am I going to know one guy that shows up at Lincoln? Walk across the room and there's our bass player from Poland as a student at Lincoln Christian University and it was very cool. And we've been... We've been hanging out uh, over the years since then, and um, again, some years after that, 2005, John Paul II, the Polish Pope, died, and uh, we were watching the, uh, the funeral, and they had a Polish choir gather around his body, and guess what they sang? That song that Leslie had translated into Polish so many years ago, and it become so popular over, throughout the whole country. And so you go, what's, what's the point of the story? Well, it's not to highlight the impact of that work, but to use it as a starting point for our conversation. See, every time we went to Poland, uh, we were considered short-term missionaries, whether it be for 10 days or 10 weeks, uh, whatever the case. Consequently, we had to learn as much of their language and their culture as, Pol- as would be appropriate for us for the message of Jesus Christ to make its roots in Poland. It would, it would be nice to, if we'd, it would, things would have sounded nice if we'd su- the vocalists had sung in English. That'd be nice, but it wouldn't get the word across. And that's the point of missionaries when you're, a missionary doesn't, well, a missionary leaves home, right? And has to go to a new culture. And in order for their work to be effective, they have to think like the people they're ministering to. They have to dress like they dress. They have to take on their culture. They have to take on their currency. They have to understand their political system, their history. And they have to speak their language. One of the reasons that that song became popular in Poland is because it was in Polish. It wouldn't have worked in English. Well, if you think about it, this idea of being a missionary and taking on a new culture and a new language, isn't that what Jesus did? Jesus, as God's missionary from heaven to humanity and the entire cosmos, arrived here to take on a completely different look and a completely different approach than how life is managed in heaven, if you will. That's what the point of this series is called God on Mission. Jesus took on a missionary profile. He came from a place different than he served, like missionaries do. He came from heaven to serve earth. He had to exchange his divine nature, an immortal body for a mortal body, in order to, if you will, dress in flesh and blood. Within the culture of humanity, he had to speak a different language. He was God on mission. He had to speak the language that the people around him understood or that we understood today. So if he had to speak the language of the people around him for them to understand it, what language did he speak? Well, we know that some of the local languages that Jesus would have heard as a little boy would be languages like Greek and Hebrew. We also know that probably the common language that everyone spoke in in that area of ancient Israel was Aramaic. It would put them in the the business language, if you will, of how they all talk together. But you'd say, well, the Son of God, the Savior of the, the world, God on mission, came to speak Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic. Well, that's not going to help us today if we're speaking English or if we're in a Hispanic nation speaking Spanish or wherever in Ukraine or 
you know, in some little island or New Guinea where there's 400 different languages in there. What's the common language that Jesus has for all those different languages and all those different cultures? What is it that all of us speak in common? Don't we all speak about dreams and hopes for the future? I mean, isn't that something all humans do? But in the midst of talking about dreams and hopes for the future, it appears to me that all those dreams and hopes for the future, they focus on relationships, don't they? Relationships form the common language of humanity. You say, okay, here I am today, I wanna have that job over there. I wanna work somewhere new in the medical field, I'd like to work in engineering, I'd like to to work in the welding world, I'd like to work in, in that office. How do you get to work there? You either know someone that's in that facility already or in that business and they teach you or they show you the ropes or you apply for the job and you hope that you can develop a relationship with the person who's doing the hiring. It's all based on my hope there for what I want to see happen. My job in the future, my vocation is based on relationships. It's the same thing in our personal lives. I hope I have a family one day, some people would say. Others would say, I, I, I have this dream that eventually my family will be intact again. Or I want to be in a romance setting with someone who will eventually call my spouse. Or I just like more friends. I don't want to be lonely. All those sorts of hopes and dreams, vocation and just life. What are they all? What's the common language about all those? Relationships. Relationships form the common language of humanity. And Jesus came to speak in the language of relationships. You could say it this way. He surrounded himself with people. With with being God on mission, the way in which that mission became effective and came into play was to bring that mission to people. We know he had two careers. We know that he started out life, if you will, as a carpenter, and then he, he ended life, if you will, as an itinerant preacher. Both of those careers involved dealing with people. As a carpenter, maybe he had to work with clients. As an itinerant preacher, there was something about him, that, uh, some charismatic aspect of his personality that drew people to him or at the very least some fascination by what he had to say. He was placed in the context of a family with a mother and a father. And we know that after he was born, there were brothers and sisters that came along and aunts and uncles. He spoke and dealt within the context of relationships. So we're going to look at that today. The common language of what we all speak, this this relationship business. We're going to read in John chapter 17, in the last few hours of Jesus' life. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane, okay? And uh, the disciples are close by and he is praying. This is just in the moments prior to his rest and execution and his life is about to end in bitter violence and he knew it. And as he's praying there, what, what do you think the Son of God would pray about as his life is about to end? Read with me, John chapter 17, verse 1. He looked toward heaven and prayed, Father, the hour has come. Everything we've been doing till now is down to this, this crux right now. Glorify your Son that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people that he might give eternal life to all those you've given him. My task as coming from heaven was to give eternal life to people. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. And I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, 
Glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. I was with you before this world began. Uh, this, there's, been a pl- there's been a mission in play back from before time as we know it, if you will, as humans know it, began. He's saying, the hour has come. I came as your missionary, as heaven's ambassador. And this plan has been in place that I would come and bring your message of peace and your hope of eternal life to all people. It was God on mission. And so he's saying, okay, that's fine. That was the God on mission that we've been looking at over the last few weeks. And what's that got to do with relationships? Well, continue reading. Because what happens is Jesus' prayer turns from his missionary status to his concern for his disciples who are with him and the people who will come after him, after them. Verse 20 is where we're going to pick up the prayer, okay? Jesus is saying, my prayer is not for them, my disciples alone, okay? He's been praying for his disciples, not only for the, these guys that are standing and kneeling around me right now. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So the disciples had a job to do, we know, that their job was to take Jesus' message and spread it around the world. We are followers of Jesus Christ today because of what the disciples did. And so who's he praying for? He's praying for people like you and me, all right? I'm I pray also for those who believe in me through the disciples' message that all of them, that these people, people in this church, may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am you. May they also be in us. Why? So that the world may believe that you have sent me. Apparently, the veracity of Jesus' mission is based on how we are getting along with one another. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you've loved me. Did you notice Jesus' prayer, first of all, is for those who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. In other words, if you consider yourself a prison to, a, a, a person who is a follower of Jesus Christ, someone who believes that Jesus came as, as God's son, God on mission, then friends, he was praying for you. And he was praying that the world will know that Jesus was God based on his followers' unity. I find it interesting that of all the things that he could have prayed for, he prayed for the people who would come to know him as Lord and Savior of the first century and the 21st century. Of all the things that we might need, he prays about relationships. Verse 23, may they be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so they may be brought to complete unity. And when we're brought to complete unity, what happens? Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. He prays that we will conduct our lives together in unity. And that unity apparently will demonstrate to the world the authenticity of this God on mission. The world is supposed to know that Jesus was God's son, based on our unity. Now, in thinking through this sermon series a few weeks ago and thinking about the things that perhaps we could bring to you uh, and this idea, this, this God on mission and this business and speaking in relationships, I'm aware there are all kinds of relationship issues that Jesus addressed and that we could look at today. I mean, Jesus talked about family life. He talked about marriage life. He talked about uh, friendships and, and uh, vocations and relationships at work or at school at the house. And we could, we could speak on all those kinds of things today. But for the sake of today's focus, I want to more specifically focus on the relationships among Jesus' followers. And there's more to be said than we have time. But 
It's important that we bring this up right now. Here's why. Our congregation, we're not, I'm not bringing this up because there's some struggle in play, okay? At present, as far as I know, all is quite well within the life of our church. Um, and so now, in the midst of um, good times, it'd be appropriate to deal with relationships within the congregation, because if we get in struggles, it's, it's been my experience, in the midst of struggle, it's too late and too difficult to say, we shouldn't be acting this way, right? The, the, it just gets too heated. So let's chat about relationships now while all is good in order to keep it good. And, you know, Jesus, this is the last thing he's praying about, and he could have prayed about all kinds of different things. Even if he was going to pray for Christians, which he did, but if he was just, I mean, he could have prayed, Lord, I pray the Christians would be extra intelligent. He didn't pray that. We're quite aware of that, aren't we? <laughs> he could have prayed that we'd be more cool with creativity. He could have prayed that we'd have a whole lot more miracles come along. He could have prayed that we'd be really good at preventing poverty or that we'd lead the world with our technical skills. And I know we do all of that. I know that, you know, there is a good measure of intelligence. There is a good measure of creativity. There is a good measure of compassion in the life of the church and this congregation to deal with people in poverty. And there's all kinds of stuff going on that we pray that God would, would that miracles would come along. God uses all those things without a doubt. But it's interesting to me that of all the matters that he said would point people to the, the veracity of his mission, in his last hours, in his last prayer time, Jesus prayed that his followers would be unified. His last subject in prayer, that the Christians would get along. And yet we have so much disunity in the church. What's with that? Oh, I understand there are differences regarding worship styles or congregational personalities or particular mission emphases that different congregations focus on. I get that. And that there are different personalities of people to, that match up with different personalities of churches and we're all wired differently. And there's no way, even in Decatur, if we get all the Christians together and say, let's all be one church, we wouldn't, I mean, it wouldn't make sense to build a building that big, right? So I get all that. But there's a problem when the differences regarding preferences or styles move to name-calling and anger and bitterness. Because once we get to anger and name-calling and bitterness, suddenly our poor actions bring Jesus' mission into question. I've seen this demonstrated. I've experienced this. You have too. It seems to still come my way from time to time. For example, sometimes here at the church building, we'll get anonymous notes in the mail. And they always seem to be addressed to me. Why is that? What's with that? Okay, send them to Brian. No, don't send them at all. <laughs> I usually don't know they are anonymous until I've read through it about the end of page 16. No, they're not usually that long. Usually one or two pages. And then I'll quickly discover there's no signature. And I understand it's usually a Christian inside the life of this congregation or from the outside looking in and not happy about this or that or the other. And fair enough, I get it. But what am I to do with that? As the leader of this church, trying to make certain that we represent everybody in a, in a right way, in a godly way, what am I to do with that? There's, because there's no name, I throw it away because I have no way to address the concern or have a conversation. 
And all that's left, frankly, is honestly a feeling of sadness that goes this way, that bitterness and rage and anger, usually the letters are really angry, okay? They're very angry. And, and that bitterness and rage and anger has been expressed and then it's planted in my spirit. I have no way to resolve it. Friends, that approach to relationships within a congregation does not speak of God things. Does not speak of a true Christian spirituality. It doesn't speak of transparency and authenticity with each other. It's not an, it has no understanding, if you will, of how we ought to treat each other and how, how we treat each other impacts how others evaluate Jesus' mission on earth. It's not a good approach to congregational life. I always think that usually the letter's from somebody outside the church. Fair enough, okay? But it's not a good approach to Christian living either. And Paul, the premier theologian of the early church, had this to say about that sort of approach. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Don't do that. Get rid of the bitterness, rage, and anger. Don't live there. If there are problems, fair enough. But let's not do it in the midst of rage. Let's not figure it out with anger. He gives an antidote to that kind of poison. He says in the next verse, be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. The antidote to bitterness and rage and anger and slander is kindness, compassion, and forgiveness within the church, capital C, within this congregation, and it brings new life when we live that way to our mission's effectiveness. Again, Jesus is praying for us. It's you and me who are in play as Jesus is praying in the last few minutes before he's arrested. He says, I pray also for those who will believe in me through the disciples' message. He you're aware that he had this expectation that his followers would take on his mission to bring peace to all people. That is our responsibility. That is your job description. That's my job description. And if you claim Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, as your, as your leader and forgiver, if I claim him the same way, if I say he's the Son of God and he's in charge of my life, then Jesus' mission is my responsibility. And we cannot allow struggle in relationships to thwart God on mission. See, we have a mission that is life-changing, that is life-saving. Literally, it saves people from, e from eternal damnation. It is life-transformational. It's a tragedy, though, when congregational problems cause the mission's failure. If people judge Jesus' mission based on how we, getting, how we are getting along, we have to be very, very intentional about saying, the unity of the church and the unity of a congregation is essential. I came across a story well, a number of months ago now that uh, illustrates the extra care and the ideas and the creativity that we need to have when it comes to this idea of being on mission because God was on mission. Because we need a focused mentality of creativity, telling people of Jesus' life, administering the... Remember, the end point is saving lives, literally for eternity. We've got to work together, and sometimes that's really hard. Sometimes getting the message from here or from here to out there and to those people is really hard. It's like you've got to cross mountains and terrain and struggles. And Well, here's the story. Perhaps you know of the nation Rwanda in Africa. When they have a medical crisis there... 
getting uh, maybe at a clinic that's out in the bush, getting them the medicine, or particularly if they need blood, getting it there quickly is very, very difficult because there's no way that they can get vehicles from one place to another in just a few hours at times. Sometime, and so they've come up with this plan. Look at this. This is amazing. The doctor way out in the bush says, I need four units of blood, okay? It goes back to home base, and they have this, the, the blood goes in that box, and it's shot out in a drone. And the drone pinpoints it immediately, like, and you're going to see a bit right here where it says it's, it's going to land in two minutes. And the drone flies over, it releases the medicine or the blood, and it drops down right out there in the bush, and it's been able, it's, within minutes, it gets to where it needs to be. Isn't that cool? Absolutely cool. What's the point? Don't let that be the takeaway of today's message. Man, you should have seen the video we saw. <laughs> I get it. The story is always engaged. I get it. But <laughs> you should have seen the video we saw about Rwanda and how they can get medicine there quickly and how important it is for it to get there. And we have the same intensity when it comes to us delivering the story of Jesus Christ. <laughs> It's got to land in the right place. It's got to land in the hearts and lives of men and women and young people and children. And man, sometimes it's hard to get it there. The last thing we need is the rough terrain of difficult relationships causing that mission to get messed up because it's got to go over the rough terrain of resentment through the wild woods of willful sin. And sometimes that message has got to just go through some plain out mud of messy living in the lives around us. And to that end, we need God's assistance, don't we? We need God's help so that we act appropriately and in line with Jesus' prayer for unity. As a congregation, friends, beloved, let me, let me use that term, beloved, as a congregation, we must always say, we will work through struggle. We won't just abandon each other. We cannot do that. Not only for our sake and our own Christian maturity, but for the sake of people who don't know Jesus yet, how dare we would ever say, well, I'll just walk away. That doesn't cut it. Now, if there are differences and you go as far as possible with you and you be at peace with all people, and I understand that sometimes we bless people and say, send them off, I get all that. But we cannot ever, now in the good times, let us say, we will not move that direction. To that end, let us be people of prayer because we need to pray that God would keep us honest in front of each other, that we would have integrity in our relationships, that there would be transparency and vulnerability, not some sort of weak vulnerability, but a strong core of living together sex successfully because in strength we trust each other. And, and that strength, let's pray that God will use that muscle, if you will, the muscle of our relationships. Let's, let's have God use that as a witness of Jesus' love for people. And I pray that our unity will help those who don't walk with God come to walk with him through Jesus Christ. Here's how it's playing out this week, okay? As a congregation, we're coming together as one church to say what? We all know a lot of people amongst us all who don't walk with Jesus. Last week, you recall, we, uh, we passed out ornaments like this, Okay? And uh, we didn't have any trees up here on the stage or on the stage in the East Auditorium. We passed out ornaments in both rooms. And we said, would you write the name of somebody on that ornament who you'd like to see come to know Jesus Christ? Step into a better relationship with him. And um, 
We had more than 900 of these things turned back in. And if you didn't get a chance to do that, uh, there are more available yet still at the welcome desk. And invariably, there was not just one name, sometimes three, four, five, six names. The trees on the stages in both auditoriums this weekend represent thousands of people that we know who don't know Jesus. And we said, what we're going to do, we're going to pray about them. We're going to, so throughout the Christmas season, the lives of the people who don't know Jesus are right in front of us every time we come for worship. We are reminded that we'll be people of unity. We are reminded that we will do what God calls us to do. And so in the coming weeks, we're going to continue to pray for these people. We're going to pray yet today. And um, we're going to pray. We're going to invest in their lives. We're going to invite them into at least hear our story. And maybe they'll even show up on here Christmas weekend. And when we do all those services throughout the weekend, the weekend of the 23rd, 24th, there's a whole lot of services. And I know we've asked you to get tickets. And here's why. In unity together, we're saying, we're going to make certain that we spread ourselves over six services so there are literally hundreds of seats available for guests to come, right? So pick up your tickets today, and let's see what God does in, in our life together as a congregation, because we are people who say, we are working together for the sake of Jesus' mission. If God was on mission, we'll be on mission too. And we'll do it starting with unity and then the way in which we pray and invest in the lives of other people. So to that end, let's pray right now, okay? Let's pray together. Lord God in heaven, we come to you right now and uh, we got these trees, Lord, in both rooms. There's literally thousands of names on those trees. Uh, more than 900 ornaments. And... Uh, they represent different names and different people. People that we from First Christian Church know who are not connected with you through Jesus Christ. And it behooves us, God, to lift them before you always because I'm aware, Lord, that in the long run, not only is it a case that they are outside the church, okay, but they are outside the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Eternity is turned off for them. A, a never-ending existence with God is not possible. Lord, it, it terrifies me at times. And Lord, I'm particularly struck by the, the intensity of that, of that mission and how that mission's uh, call is based on how we as a congregation respond to each other and to other churches in the city. May we be, Lord, a, a leading light of how Christians get along. God, it's not a case that we always have to agree on every matter. I, but God, I pray that we'd be a church that others can look at and say, there are people who work through differences, who live life in the struggle, who, who, God, we would wanna be one in unity so that just as Jesus was glorified in his unity with you, that we too would be able to glorify you. We won't back down from that, God. We will, with intentionality, reach out to each other, hold tightly to our friends and relationships and family within the church, and ask God that you would increase that size, increase that not for the sake of numbers, but for the sake of your glory, for the sake of people knowing you, we pray 
in Christ's name, amen.